Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Rational fear contains strong, coarse language and traces of nuts. Radio National recommends listening by an immature audience. Tonight, the Australian Christian Lobby is outraged at Cricket Australia for appointing a buff as the new coach. And the first ever Apple computer will be sold at auction for $500,000. A separate auction will be held for the power supply. And we interview the founder of Queensland's new political force, the Lamington Party, and we ask him just how bad the Lamington Party will get rolled at this year's election. That's tonight on Irrational Fair! Yes, this is Irrational Fear and I'm your host, Dan Illick, and this is a show that has 100% full support of Bill Shorten. It's, uh, it's, it's very comforting to know that. It's very comforting to know. Now, later on, I'll be flicking through some of the carnage left behind the spill, but before that, please welcome our fear mongers for tonight. Now, Chris Taylor. Was this the spill to end all spills? Well, not according to the international media. I was actually um, looking at a, a news website from Libya today who described it as Australia's bloodiest coup. And <laughs> This from a country that doesn't t- use the term bloody coup metaphorically. <laughs> Michael Hing, you've written a talk about our current Prime Minister? Yeah, I wrote it at the start of the week and I think it's still relevant. <laughs> On a different story altogether. Jail for old people. What have they done, Veronica Milsom? Uh, Nothing good. I've learnt there are dirty old people everywhere up to their droopy necks in trouble. (laughs) Lewis Hobart, are New Zealanders the new boat people? Well, I'm going to be suggesting that New Zealanders are actually the original boat people. They were doing it first. They're the hipsters of boat people. (laughs) And HG Nelson, everyone! (laughs) The big battleground for this election is in the Senate. It certainly is, Dan, and I'm representing tonight the Rugby League Party of Australia as most people know, people, all Australians think of sex once every 13 seconds, but they think of rugby league once every seven seconds. <laughs> A rational fear. We're hiding Snowden and Harold Holt. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Taylor. 
Yes, thank you very much, Dan. Now, this week Australia found itself with a new Prime Minister. As of this moment, it's currently Kevin Rudd. But by the time this show goes to air tomorrow, <laughs> I've got no fucking idea who it might be. It could be right, it could be Gillard. The way the Labor Party's acting at the moment, they might even exhume Billy Hughes to see how he polls in Western Sydney. But to the best of our knowledge, Kevin Rudd is once again in the top job, which basically makes Kevin Rudd the spicks and specks of Australian politics. <laughs> Incredibly daggy and well past its use-by date, but resurrected for a second run because the replacements have all been total duds. And I think in that analogy, I think uh, Gillard would technically be Randling, which, <laughs> which is a very low blow. So, was the coup worth it? Now, according to today's polls, Rudd has an approval rating of 46% and a self-approval rating of 97%. <laughs> but many in the party will remember him as an abusive sociopathic monster. So bringing him back to lead your party is a little bit like rehiring Gordon Wood to chauffeur your new model girlfriend around. It could be okay, but you wouldn't be completely surprised if he led you over a cliff. In fact, after Wednesday's coup, Rudd's now seen as the only man in the Labour Party who's rolled over more women than Craig Thompson. True fact. And Gillard, Gillard was by no means the only casualty. On Wednesday, Labor lost more of its key players in a single night than Downton Abbey lost over its entire third season. And that is saying something. So tonight I thought I might uh, kind of give you a quick dummies guide to the winners and the losers of this week's spill. On the winner's side, Anthony Aykroyd. <laughs> who now once again gets to trot out his Kevin Rudd impression on the corporate circuit for another three months at least. Also a winner, US whistleblower Edward Snowden. He must have taken great heart and inspiration this week from Kevin Rudd, whose story tells us that you can leak damaging material against your government and still rise to the highest office in the land. On the loser side, the Australian Women's Weekly. No, no real reason, I just think they're losers. <laughs> Winner, the architects of Parliament House, who must have been thrilled by Sky News' non-stop round-the-clock coverage on Wednesday night of the building's empty corridors. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen that many clear passages on TV since Mike Munro's on-air colonoscopy on the Sunday night program. <laughs> Winner, Peter Garrett. He's leaving politics just in time to return to the entertainment business and take his rightful place in the cast of the Adams Family musical. <laughs> Winner, Julia Gillard. The day after she left, the media wrote the first nice things that they have ever written about her. <laughs> Turns out that to get some positive coverage, all she had to do was resign. Now, Gillard says she wants to retire from public life and go somewhere well away from the public gaze. So I suggest you go on to the latest season of MasterChef, where I can guarantee no one will be watching. Loser, Wayne Swan. What can you say about Wayne Swan that won't send you all to sleep? <laughs> Nothing, it turns out, so let's move on. Loser, Anthony Albanese. Although now Deputy Prime Minister, 
Albanese will have to put up with the indignity every day of Rudd calling him Albo in that annoying folksy way of his. <laughs> Pretty soon Rudd will also start calling Penny Wong Wongo. <laughs> and if he starts referring to the carbon taxes Carbo, then his whole prime ministership is suddenly going to start sounding like an episode of Pack to the Rafters. And I think we can all agree there's no fate worse than that. Chris Tyler. What was, uh, what was so different about this spill compared to the other ten or so spills that happened in the last 18 months? What do you think? I feel sorry for um, his daughter, Jessica Rudd. I don't know if you noticed, at every single media appearance he did yesterday, she, by some sort of family decree, has to be there, dragged into the picture. It's, almost like, it's sort of a bit creepy. It's almost getting Fritzel-esque. <laughs> I... I, I wouldn't. They were there, they were there today. I wouldn't All be the surprised. Whole family was there. Wouldn't be surprised if at the lodge he's built a basement and he just has her down there, subjecting her to all sorts of torture, like reading his essays from the monthly. Well, Jessica's just the daughter we know about. You're talking about the Governor General swearing Kevin in today. I'd love it if those swearing in ceremonies actually involved swearing, and <laughs> and the Governor General just said, "Oh fuck, not this again." Well. You know, like, <laughs> Now, HG, yes. as a sports fan, yep. as a sports aficionado, was it right for Channel 9 to move its viewers from the main channel to Gem to watch the spill? Well, I, I was very disappointed because we do have picture-on-picture -picture technology and uh, <laughs> I'm sure that we could have watched both at once. And I did have a very big bet running with, uh, obviously, Tommy Waterhouse, uh, the man who knows what punters want, on exactly the way it unfolded. And I cleaned up today, but I was very disappointed. I only discovered it after the State of Origin was over. Uh, that left me on tenor hooks. Uh, obviously, all Blues supporters very disappointed by the result on uh, well Wednesday night last week, wherever this goes to air. <laughs> but mercifully, we've moved on. <laughs> now, well, at least they gave it a go. At least we could see the spill in HD. Ah. Um, but over on Channel 7, the Today Tonight broadcasters were less than prepared. Now, usually they're quite accustomed to throwing to pre-tape packages designed to incite race riots. <laughs> but breaking news is something a little more challenging for them to deal with. Um, here you go. This is what happened when, uh, when Bill Shorten was having his press conference. We'll have to leave Canberra there, but obviously it's firming up that Kevin Rudd obviously is getting the numbers with the support of Bill Shorten. The same opinion... And uh, we'll have to move on to our next story now. But uh, all very interesting down in Canberra. Of course, we'll continue to bring you continuing coverage throughout the evening on our news. But now we'll also be crossing to our viewer poll shortly. Now to a Muslim who was on his way to becoming a radical. I'm sorry, we'll have to go to something else there. But it is all happening in Canberra, as we can see. Now to a Muslim who was on his way to becoming... I apologise for this. OK, now, we are heading to another story. Oh, at least they were apologising. <laughs> just those natural instincts kick in. It's like force of habit. You just go to a Muslim story. <laughs> She knew no matter what, they had that story yeah. somewhere. <laughs> she had a choice of 20 Muslim yeah. stories she could have gone to. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, it sounded like they were actually going to throw to Bill Shorten's press conference there. Now, uh, Bill Shorten, now he's always looking out for the Prime Minister. I guess that's because uh, in the Labor caucus, he actually gets to choose the Prime Minister. If you missed Bill's pre- press conference, which is just slightly before Wednesday's ballot, here it is. Well, what I'm about to tell you, I've already informed our Prime Minister of. Um, what guides me as a member of Parliament and a member of the Labor caucus every day is what's in the best interest of me and my ability to become Prime Minister in the near future. Bill Shorten is something that I believe passionately in. Bill Shorten I've believed in all my adult working life. I believe that Tony Abbott and his Conservative coalition represent a once-in-a-lifetime risk to Bill Shorten. So, in conclusion, I, Bill Shorten, will fully support Bill Shorten in his bid to Bill Shorten, Bill Shorten, Bill Shorten. Thank you very much. It is, yeah. yeah. He was very succinct there. Look, uh, of course, Bill Shorten is labelled as one of the more visible uh, faceless men in the Labor Party. Now, taking his lead, some of the other faceless men are actually deciding to, you know, go out and about, get in front of the media and, uh, you know, and get their, raise their profile a little bit. Here's, um, here's a clip from an interview with uh, one, of the, one of the doorstops with one of the other faceless men. Let's have a listen. Excuse me, excuse me. When's the election planning to be? <laughs> What are the chances you'll be able to beat Tony Abbott? Do you think Gillard had any real chance of the election if she stayed in position? Oh, that's not very nice. Are you just saying that because you're a bunch of faceless misogynists? What is in your mouth? Thank you very much. Now, with the spill finally over, have we seen the end of faceless men? I'm hoping for a faceless woman. Why are the, <laughs> men, taking, why are the men taking all the fucking best jobs? <laughs> do, you think the, do you think the Liberals would be interested in faceless men, Michael Hing? Uh, no, they're just after soulless men. <laughs> was, was that too partisan? I don't know. <laughs> the views of a rational fear do not necessarily recommend the views of Michael Hing. <laughs> Now, the spill was big news that dominated all of Wednesday evening, but Wednesday morning uh, there was actually quite a bit of news as well. For instance, the landmark Gonski education reforms got passed, which is incredible. Yes, it's amazing. It's really great. But also, on Wednesday morning, Tony Windsor and Rob Oakeshott called it quits. Um, now, uh, um, unbelievably, it was such a big news that the ABC was so stretched, um, they had to pull in Mark Colvin, who was on health leave because he just had a kidney transplant. They actually pulled him in to cover the Rob Oakeshott story. Uh, I think he's actually still doing it. Let me, let's tune in to see if we can hear him still do the story. Hope. Uh, whichever way you've just joined us, uh, this ends up you're listening to day three of Rob Oakeshott's farewell speech. Uh, talk, He's covered much ground in 68 hours. Uh, in his career, his electorate, his family, kumquat marmalade, why he can't get reception for SBS2, but gets an inexplicably clear signal for the Home Shopping Network. I'll be here covering this story till the end. If anyone is still listening, please send some water and some nutritious snacks and and tell my family I love them. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Hing! Hello. Um, Look, it's great to be here. Uh, My name is Michael Hing and I'm very excited to be here at Dan Illich's satirical comedy show, Irrational Fear. So a couple of weeks ago I thought, all right, Hing, it's coming up, it's a big important gig, you know, you should get started writing these jokes early. So on Tuesday night this week, I'd had it all finished, you know? I had written... 
I had written what seemed like the most important issues of the week. And uh, obviously there's been uh, some events that have taken place uh, this week, but, uh, you know, in Australian politics, but I think a lot of what I've written still works and uh, is still as relevant now as it was at the start of the week. Uh, because, you know, some stories don't lose their importance, you guys. So this is some satirical comedy I wrote about Australian politics this week. <laughs> <clears throat> Gender card, oh, wool, oh, look at the dog, oh! This sure is the most important thing about a person who runs a freaking country. Oh, knitting, oh, this is just like the carbon tax probably, which I also don't understand. Oh, because I only consume corporate media because I hate independent thought, oh, satire. Look, I think we can all agree that that is about as relevant and important tonight as it was at the start of the week. I mean, look, whether you love or you hate Gillard and what happened to her this week, one of the very few universal positives that we can take away from the caucus challenge and leadership change this week is that with the retirement of the former Prime Minister, we may see an end to the cavalcade of terrible Julia Gillard impressions that have infiltrated our lives under the guise of comedy over the past three years. Look, we get it. She has a funny voice and red hair and says moving forward a lot. Look, if your impression of the Prime Minister consists entirely of a wig and a voice, you're not funny, you're not clever, you're not bringing anything new to the debate. You're not satire. You're essentially a poorly thought-out community theatre piece without the patient and forgiving community theatre audience that a community theatre production would foster. Satire is about shaming people into being better and into improving. You have a mouthpiece, media. Bloody well, use it. Look, I was genuinely really excited about this, you know, that, that maybe, just maybe, we would all be able to move along as a culture. You know, maybe we'd be able to move forward away from pointless, trivial impressions of our leaders and move towards maybe even using comedy and satire as a means through which we can actually prosecute the perceived hypocrisy or incompetence of our politicians. Maybe even scrutinise policy discussions. Can you imagine? And I get that not everyone can be John Clark and Brian Dore, but surely you can be moving beyond this. Surely this is the moment. Our Prime Minister effectively ousted because the Australian electorate didn't engage with policy but with ephemera. Surely this is the turning point. And then to see this morning. <laughs> After the spill, a front page headline at a major news website. Rudden the satirist, who's laughing now? Meh, this comedian spent three years parodying Kevin Rudd's leadership plotting. Ah! You know what, Australia? You get the political commentary you deserve. I guess we're all setting ourselves up for another round of hats, wigs, and political parody songs for the next election. Because you know, I thought, you know, I thought about this a bunch today, and I realised that you know what, poll show Labor's headed for defeat at the polls, right? They are, right? Which means some drama school graduate somewhere right now is staring at themselves in the mirror with a pair of budgie smugglers and a receding hairline, practicing their best Tony Abbott impression. <laughs> But I couldn't think who, you know, I couldn't think. Like, these impressionists, they're always around. They never leave us. They're just out there all the time trying to have a bit of fun, you know, poke a bit of fun at the people. Who cares that jokes affect perception, perception affects politics, politics affects policy, and policy affects lives? Who cares? They're just out there for a bit of fun. And they're always out there. So where's the Tony Abbott impressionist? And I realised that unlike Julia Giddell or Kevin Rudd, there's nothing inherently funny about the way Tony Abbott carries himself. He really is a humorless individual, you know? <laughs> 
there's a bit of fun putting on a hat and a wig and a voice, probably, and maybe there's just no such innate humour in trying to imitate the superficial charm of a doddering psychopath. <laughs> maybe that's the case, maybe it's not. Either way, I think I'm going to get head home right now and get bust out my best life saving cat and my budgie smugglers, because even if it's pointless, amoral, idiotic and annoying, media companies will pay sweet cash money dollars for these YouTube videos. And after the events of this week, I am nothing if not a jaded cynic who owes his parents a lot of money. Thank you. <laughs> Irrational fear. It's not rocket science. I guess at this point, I should just add that um, uh, alleged psychopath. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Can I, can I say thank you, Michael? That was a very <laughs> nice. I really enjoyed that. That's amazing. That's an amazing impression you can do, Lewis. <laughs> I've been practicing. Thank you. <laughs> The battle for Prime Minister was not the only Australian leadership battle to happen this week. No, as goes cricket, so goes the nation. Mickey Arthur was ousted as coach of Australia A and was replaced by Darren Lehman. But Mickey is not taking this sitting down. No, he's, uh, he's launched a series of attack ads to convince Cricket Australia that he should be back behind the crease. Darren Lehman says he can catch and he can bowl. But does Darren Lehman have a compelling biltong recipe? Probably not. Ha, I'm Mickey Arthur, and I approve this message. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Veronica Milsom! The issue that I want to talk about didn't make the front page. It was on about page 16. I mean, if you read the paper news. For those who prefer it online, you had to scroll down past the Bengal bondage pics and the article about the enraged giraffe chasing the disappointingly fully clothed woman through the bushlands. <laughs> and somewhere near the bottle, nestled between stories about who's going to be our next Prime Minister, you'd have landed on one about a bid to open Australia's first ever prison for the elderly. Now, this is a place to lock up our senior citizens and not even the kind that's more commonly referred to as a nursing home. This one is more specifically for the elderly who've committed heinous crimes. I didn't even know that this great nation's dottery old fools with their hilarious oversized ears, melted faces and droopy necks were capable of such things. But now we're hearing there's enough to populate an entire prison. I mean, I get it. I, I know even oldies have their occasional mean streak, like in that episode of Golden Girls where Betty White steals some of B. Arthur's chips and never hears the end of it from Blanche. I get it. It happens. Ararat Council believe the nation's oldest criminals should have their own aged care-style jail. And maybe they're right. We've all seen enough Shawshank Redemption and Oz to know it's a cruel young person world out there inside the confines of a prison. Surely, if old people had their own jail, um, many of the regular horrific prison antics would cease to exist. You'd imagine vicious verbal threats between inmates wouldn't be quite the same. I'm going to kill you. What? I'm going to kill you. What? I'm going to kill you! I can't hear you blasted! Say it louder! Ugh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, prison guards wouldn't face the same issues. I want the truth, damn it, Gerald! Did you pull Bush Arthur? I tell you, I was standing there and he fell down the stairs! <laughs> okay, that sounds legit. <laughs> now, do up your cardi or you'll catch a chill, you duffer. 
a shower time certainly wouldn't be as eventful. I mean, when old people drop the soap, it's likely they won't be able to bend up to pick it up again. And even if they did and couldn't bend back up again, Viagra takes about half an hour to kick in. So it's hard to be spontaneous. Hard, difficult, I mean difficult. Not to mention the prison gangs being far less complicated. I mean, prison groups are usually segregated by racial affiliations. Muslims, Christians, skinheads. But given old people are all equally racist, they'd probably just be divided up by what game show they follow. Deal or no deal in cell block A, millionaire hot seat in cell block B. And they can all agree on the fact that back in their day, being a prisoner was way more hardcore than it is now. Oh, Grandpa. You've got to admit, Ararat are onto something. Putting elderly crims in a prison of their very own is a really easy business to run. I mean, they're such well-matched partnership. I mean, the very idea of a jail being somewhere to physically confine prisoners works perfectly with the calibre of people who can barely move anyway. And depriving them of their personal freedoms is essentially what happens when you can't drive, can't see, and shit yourself most of the time anyway. They're doing the prison guards' work for them. In fact, the Ararat Council boasts the creation of 200 new jobs if they pull this off. I'm just worried about their ability to attract the right candidates, though. I don't know about anyone who's equally comfortable kicking asses as well as wiping them. And I I've certainly never met anyone who'd be willing to facilitate over-80s conjugal visits. Uh, But the idea of being able to punish a lawbreaker and for them not to have any memory capacity long enough to hold a grudge could be appealing. Relax, I'm not restraining you. I'm hugging you. We just came back from an excellent afternoon of fun. You ate fairy floss and afterwards we went on a roller coaster. Really? Did we love it? <laughs> you bet ya. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. It'd be such a lovely place. In fact, the biggest concern, I think, is that our law-abiding elderly folk who can't afford aged care are going to wind up thinking that the sweet conditions are so excellent that they want in. Security, food and readily available drugs to them sounds like Woodstock circa 68. Without music, obviously, but without hearing, that becomes less of an issue. <laughs> There'll be unprecedented old-timey crime abound. These endless hours spent watching the bill reruns won't have been for nothing at all. Bingo fraud will be rife. Slow-moving getaway drivers will block traffic. And planes from Bali will be packed with elderly inconspicuous drug mules. Because sticking plastic-covered packages in your colostomy bag beats the hell out of sticking them up your ass. <laughs> so if you're an elderly Radio National listener, and I know you are... <laughs> Then rise up one and all and start committing jail term worthy crimes to help yourself and a small town with a big dream to throw the defenceless and feeble behind bars together at last. And just a disclaimer, if you're slightly senile and at risk of having taken this as a genuine incitement, hopefully I've talked fast enough so you would really haven't understood. But if you're constructing a complaint letter and require a transcript, I've posted it onto the website, but hopefully in a small enough font that you won't be able to read it. Thank you. Yeah. Damn. Now, HG, uh, as someone who's on the older end of the panel, uh, how far away are you from being... uh, Jail. Yeah. Very, very close, Dan. Very, very close. But can I say the Rugby League Party of Australia has an excellent program in retraining pensioners. Pensioners get on my goat. 
They're clogging up queues in banks. They're in buses taking up all the best seats. And we need to train, retrain this age group so they can take a fruitful part in Australia's moving forward. We want to retrain them as jockeys. We want to retrain them as road managers. And don't tell me there wouldn't be fun to be had if you saw a 90-year-old coming round the turn at Randwick and falling off. Because there would. Magic. Do you know, one of the things that Kevin Rudd said the other day when he he got back as a Prime Minister was, and we're going to tell our young people to get inspired and then we'll be cooking with gas. (laughs) Young people have no idea what cooking with gas means. I think he assumed that we'd all be, like, cooking meth. That's (laughs) the assumption. Exactly. Now, the Australian criminal uh, criminology study suggests that numbers of criminals over the age of 65 has doubled in the last decade. Why is that, Chris? Well, I, I think it's ever since they axed the midday show. Um, <laughs> that used to keep the elderly off the streets. <laughs> now they've got, they're at a loose end. Why are they ram-raiding ATMs, which they don't understand how to use? <laughs> Excuse me, how do I ram-raid this? <laughs> Speaking of minimum security prisons for old people, it looks like Crown Casino is coming to Sydney. Um, Now, if you live in Sydney, it's hard to miss the endless propaganda telling us how good Crown is going to be for the economy. Now, they've got ads where they've they've been running on TV saying, oh, how good good Crown is for the economy in Melbourne and Perth. Now, if you don't live in Sydney, we've got one of their ads to play you right now that we've tweaked a little bit. Welcome to Crown. At Crown, we open our doors to 25 million visitors a year and we contribute over $2 billion a year to the Australian economy by taking $2 billion from the Australian economy. We currently have 2,000 pokies in our casinos and they earn twice the Australian minimum wage. And they're Egyptian. We're also pumping millions into the economy by making ads like these to convince you to let us build more casinos in your city. Need more convincing? Imagine hosting the Logies. <laughs> the motherfucking Logies. So, leave your troubles behind and your kids in the car. Treat us like your second home, because we already own your first. See you soon at Barangaroo, where we control the action. <laughs> Lewis Hobber! Thank you very much. Now, I've seen some sick and disgusting things in this country, but never have I been so angry. So furious as when I read about our latest immigration department's gross human rights abuses this week. A few months ago, the immigration department created a legal loophole that excised the Australian mainland from our own migration zone. But the tricky devils have come up with an even more sickening and dastardly loophole. One that denies Australian citizenship to Russell Crowe. A legal loophole. The law! Isn't that so bloody typical? (laughs) A man just wants to move to a country and win a few Oscars and bring them home to his footy team, but he can't because laws. (laughs) I've always said we should get rid of those things. If we need to get rid of all the laws in order to get Rusty to become a full Australian, then I say get rid of a lot of them. It'll make Rusty's life much easier and it'll free up the courts from dealing with all his rugby league's players' pesky assault claims. Apparently, in 2001, while Rusty was out of the country, winning a bloody BAFTA! (laughs) Our shifty immigration department changed the laws regarding New Zealand immigrants. This means not only is Rusty not currently an Australian citizen, he never has been. Russell Crowe has lived in Australia for 37 of his 49 years. That's impressive for a guy who doesn't look a day under 65. (laughs) 
we've lost one of the great Australians without ever having him in the first place. Now, obviously, Australian immigration has turned away a lot of desperate, needy, helpless people before. But that just makes sense. What I can't understand is why we would ever close our borders to an Oscar winner. Russell said he was surprised and disappointed by the decision, seeing as how he's had an Australian wife and two Australian children. I disagree. Russell doesn't have two Australian children. He has 22 million. (laughs) Yes, we're all Russell's children. Even you people who are older than him. You're his weird adopted parent-age children. Know this for what it is. A personal attack by the immigration department. Think of the shit they've pulled in the past. Tatiana Grigorieva? I mean, would they rush through Russell's citizenship if he could pole vote in the Olympics? Because he probably could. Is he not pretty enough? Is he not Russian enough? He can do accents. He could play Tatiana Grigorieva in the Tatiana Grigorieva biopic and you wouldn't be able to tell him apart. Music, sport, acting, winning awards. These are the pillars that hold up Australian society. That and occasionally abusing hotel staff. We've all done it, and those that haven't want to and should whenever they get the chance. I worry about what might happen to Rusty if we deny his Australian citizenship. Remember what happened when Mel Gibson remembered he was American? He got racist! Now, I'm the first person to admit Rusty's got a temper. But ever since he became what he thought was an Australian, he's been very well behaved. You know what Rusty said when he asked why he was worried about not being an Australian? Because, he said, after inhaling an entire cigarette factory, (laughs) indirectly saving thousands of Australians from cancer. (laughs) If something goes down overseas, I have to go to two embassies. If something goes down overseas, how goddamn cool is that? That's Rusty's world! What's your world, immigration department? With your pen pushing and your pencil pushing and you're using your pens to push your pencils around your desk? When was the last time you went out and pretended to be someone else really well until you got an award? Exactly, you didn't! You don't know the first thing about something going down overseas. The only thing you've seen go down is your worth in my eyes. Because you denied an Australian citizen. An Australian, so Australian, he's not an Australian bloody stamp. I can lick him and he's not even a citizen. I demand to be able to lick citizens. I also demand to be able to legally lick all citizens. These are my demands. How dare you, Immigration Department? When I read that we were letting Rusty, j- we weren't letting Rusty join our fair nation, I thought, well, we are truly les miserables. I won't stand by idly while a body of lies affects the state of play for our Cinderella man. He's more than a beautiful mind, he's a beautiful soul. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I say this, when you get home, write a strongly worded email to our immigration department demanding that they get their priorities right and focus on the shit that really matters, letting us claim famous New Zealanders. (laughs) Write that email, pause, inhale on a thousand cigarettes, and then, on my mark, 
unleash hell. Lewis, come on! Irrational fear! Right. Now, do you reckon it's okay to not give Russell citizenship, Australian citizenship? He does own a football team, HG. Uh, well, I've got one word why he shouldn't, why he shouldn't be a citizen. That word is toe fog. <laughs> 30-off-footer grunt. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Grunt. Uh, as far as the football team goes, uh, look, um, you know, I don't know that Russell really understands the Rabideau story. That's my worry. <laughs> you know, the clothes props and the rabbits being hawked in the South Sydney area, pyjamas on, pyjamas off. I don't think he's got any of that at all in him. No, no, I, I'm, I, I build a big... You know, what would you call it? Razor wire fence around Russell and just move him around. A Russell proof fence. A Russell proof fence. Just in defiance, could he not just start up his own country? Like, call it Croatia. How far would that be as the crow flies? What other New Zealanders should we be trying to claim as our own? None. Fuck Yeah, Are we that desperate? <laughs> Are we that desperate? I don't know. I, I went to see. I went to see. Um, Thank God you're here once, and I, I got to sit in the VIP area. Wow! And I know, Ooh. fancy, fancy. No big deal. Um, I'm in showbiz. Um, and there was a, there was a seat left in our area, and I was sitting next to one of the contestants' girlfriends, and uh, there was the executive producer of Thank God you're here walking Sam Neil up the steps to sit down with us, and the girlfriend turned to me and said, "Oh my God, it's the guy from the Lamb ad." <laughs> A rational fear. More legal than a bunga bunga party inside an Italian jail. South Africa ended apartheid. Australia still has the Dent Embassy. South Africa has Mandela. Australia has Sandylands. South Africa has that guy from District 9. Australia has, I don't know, like Libby Gore. I'm Mickey Arthur and I'm South African and I'm the best. Mandela's still alive at the time of broadcast. Yes, good evening ladies and gentlemen and students of Irrational Fear Pilgrims. This evening I stand proudly before you representing the Rugby League Party of Australia with a compelling compelling 2013 state of origin erupting around us on September the 14th or wherever the fuck they call the election. I'm proud to be putting my shoulder to the national wheel because the Rugby League Party of Australia is a fresh, dynamic breeze blowing across the nation's parched political landscape. We are the only party that puts rugby league and rugby league thinking at the top of the sporting agenda. No, as you were, my very good friends, we put rugby league thinking at the top of every agenda across Australia. You know where you stand with the Rugby League Party. The greatest game of all is front and centre. If successful on September the 14th, the Rugby League perspective will guide this nation in health, defence, education, welfare, the environment and especially immigration. No more New Zealanders, especially Russell Crowe. And the big news is that on the September the 14th, our party will be contesting every seat across the nation. Tonight... Due to time constraints, we can only dwell on the education policy. Education, the national syllabus from September the 15th, will understandably be rugby league heavy. If elected, 
we will have a mandate of be, to begin moving the education forward across the nation with a proactive bias towards rugby league. We make no apologies for that, my very good friends. The emphasis from day one will be on rugby league history, rugby league rules, rugby league's greatest clashes and rugby league's unforgettable personalities. While tracing the changes in society brought about through rugby league's help since 1908. We will do away with the hated NAPLAN test because we promise to completely revolutionise the exam process. Our education spokesman, Manly Sea Eagle, Mr Anthony Watmo, standing in the seat of northern New South Wales of Hapawate, will see that all exams are simply tick-the-box affair with a heavy emphasis on true or false answers. We will push hard to include two extra rugby league wriggles in the syllabus. For instance, in a world first for any code, we will introduce the rules of the game in Grade 1. Grade 1. No child will be able to progress past Grade 5 without a thorough knowledge of the rules of our great game. In Grade 5, we will introduce the concept of going upstairs and teach all students the fundamentals of video refereeing. We believe this is the only way we'll get consistency out in the middle in the heat of battle. And... And at last, origin facts and figures will be available as a HSC subject for the first time for those in Year 12 who want to add a juicy, fat strawberry on top of uh, a, a rich, well-baked educational sponge. Above the, uh, that's obviously above the cream. We will emphasise our history and Gallipoli in the build-up to the big one in 2015. I am right up behind Poodle's Pine, the current federal opposition spokesman on education, when he calls for a greater emphasis on Gallipoli campaign in the lead-up to centenary. But where I and Poodle's part company is in the detail. We will teach this history from a rugby league perspective. The code, ladies and gentlemen, was just seven years old. The nation was just 14 years old. Yet the game and the nation for the first time were marching hand in hand off to confront that dreadful foe who understood bugger all about what it meant to be Australian and knew even less about the great code of rugby league. <laughs> my very good friends, my very good friends and pilgrims, the Rugby League Party believes the simple and obvious fact that teachers in schools today don't have enough time to teach. What with discipline problems, cooking meals for starving kids and wasting time filling out forms to satisfy head, head of us, we need to do better. The children of this nation need us to do better. And speaking of discipline, the big policy initiative that Education Minister Watmo will introduce into Parliament on September the 16th, should the election be held on the 14th, at the very first opportunity is return to an old-fashioned school obedience regime. Yes, the rumours are true, the cane is back. The Rugby League Party hoped to usher in a golden age of physical violence in classrooms across the nation. The party's basic belief, pilgrims, is without discipline, nothing is achieved. My very good friends, imagine the spring in the step of all teachers on September the 16th when they turn up the school gate with a grin from ear to ear, knowing that they can dish out six of the best without some nanny state do-gooder getting uppity and ruining the educational process. And when you see the details of the scale of penalties, you will bellow. Thank God at last, a common sense solution that is practical with real teeth. And I quoted that from Corey Bernardi. Ours is a common sense solution to the problem of disciplines in schools. As I understand it from what Mo, he's often hard to understand, but this is what I've gleaned. <laughs> 
it will be a sliding scale that matches the punishment for penalty. For instance, uh, for minor indiscretions like an incorrect play, the ball, a forward pass or a poor scrum free, the rugby league ticketed teachers, and only rugby league ticketed teachers, will be allowed to introduce the younger player with a real problem to the corrective measure of the tickler. Uh, the tickler is a short length of bamboo cane about half a metre long. We believe a couple of touches from the tickler will produce excellent results. The major stuff-ups like head-high tackles, shoulder charges, spear tackles and the appalling blight on the modern game, the surrender tackle, or simply getting the odds wrong, thanks very much, Tom, pupils will get up close and personal with Mr Wisdom's Whopper. The Whopper is a metre and a half of Tyra Tan that has seen service in schools in four jurisdictions uh, jurisdic- I knew I shouldn't have written this word. <laughs> Jurisdictions. You see, when you deal with rugby league, for fuck's sake, keep it simple. <laughs> Four jurisdictions across Asia over two centuries. It's a cane that's best kept out of sight until needed, preferably in the cupboard in the corner of the classroom. We have found in schools and clinics across Australia that our penalty count goes way down once the students have met Mr Wisdom. After a couple of whacks from the whopper, everyone's mind is back on the job. Now, if you want to delve more deeply into our educational policy, for God's sake, bag one of our booklets at the door on the way out. You will not be disappointed. Thanks very much. Michael Hing, can we really trust our footballers to get into politics? Well, as someone who clearly understands what football is, definitely. Uh, yes, I can't think of a single reason to doubt these footballers. They seem very well behaved and not at all like they're sex offenders. I think, I think codes could be a little bit like um, parties, where they all... Uh, they have different policies, but they'll all assault you similarly. Well, here are some micro-parties. Here are some, um, here are some micro-parties that actually have existed in Australian politics. Uh, uh, we've got one now. The Sun Ripened Warm Tomato Party. Uh, this was registered in 1989 in the ACT. Another one that was registered in the, in the ACT in 1989 was a party called Party, Party, Party. <laughs> Uh, this one was uh, registered in the 80s as well. This is the Deadly Serious Party. Um, it was a joke party that stood candidates in the Australian elections in the 80s. Its platform included dispatching a flock of killer penguins to protect Australia's coastline from Argentine invasion. <laughs> uh, that's actually existed. That actually, have you ever started a party yourself, HG? Sounds like uh, something you would do. No, it certainly would be. Uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm always interested in new parties. HG, where do you see Mel Meninga coming in? <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I thought that was a wonderful moment, wasn't he? He lasted, for those who don't remember the moment, he lasted about 15 seconds. I think he was representing the Rugby League Party. And he, he was asked a probing question about, say, traffic wardens in the city of Canberra. And he just said, his immortal reply is, oh, look, I can't do this anymore. And took the phones and wandered off. It was brilliant. No, and there's I, nothing an Australian can relate more than just, like, one tough question, fucking off. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. A rational fear. More important than the local council referendum. Our next guest is a Queensland and a passionate advocate for the role of arts, culture and technology in improving our quality of life, which is why he started his own political party with a ridiculous name. Please welcome to the show, Jason McKenzie, the founder of the Lamington Party. Um, Now tell us a a little bit about the Lamington Party. Why did you start the Lamington Party and why the stupid name? 
I think it's a sweet name. It's not a stupid name. If, if you think about it, Lamingtons predate rugby. <laughs> oh, well, no. That, yeah. Now, the great thing about the Lamington, now, correct me if I'm wrong, it was made for a bloke called Lord Lamington. A woman came up with the Lamington by rolling stale cake in chocolate and sprinkling coconut bits on it. He hated it. He thought it was stuffed. But my main thing is, our main thing was behind the name was it's about problem solving and ingenuity. It's about inventing something. And unlike the pavlova, Lamington is 100% undisputably Australian. So is the pavlova. If you're going to tell me the pavlova is New Zealand, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. It's bloody hell, the pavlova is as Australian as I am. So what does the Lamington part, what does the Lamington represent for you uh, in terms of the core principles of your, of your party ideology? Yeah, really what we were looking for is, is the party that I would want to vote for and then I was talking to some people and they said, what would we vote for? And we said, well, we'd really want something that focuses on new technology and this century and creativity and getting the infrastructure and fast trains that we need and dealing with social issues, which frankly are just super simple things that we should deal with, like equal marriage. Every industry is being reinvented by the internet. Every industry is being reinvented by higher quality product design. And if we can invest in education and creativity and technology, then we'll create tomorrow's industries. You sound incredibly... Opt, like an incredibly uh, crazy optimist. Um, like if, if, if Kevin Rudd has taught us anything about politics, you've got to undermine, undermine, undermine <laughs> to get on top. Well, I think Kevin said today that it's the end of negativity now, isn't it? That's right, that's right, because once you've put the person who undermines on top, you can't actually get under anything. <laughs> well... I've got to agree with Kevin, though. I think that if we can end the negativity, if we can end the the personality stuff with the politics, really focus on the policies and and really see what we can get done. And and if, if I can for a second, this parliament passed more legislation than any other parliament ever has. Right? 87% of legislation was passed by both Labour and Liberal. Right? There, and another example, there's a, a Liberal senator and a Labour member in the House who passed 80 pieces of legislation, Liberal and Labour, right, against same-sex discrimination. Right? It wasn't the Greens, it was actually Labour and Liberal working behind the scenes. We don't see that. If we could see them working together and actually see that thing that we're always talking about, let's have a policy discussion, let's have a policy debate, let's actually bring all that good stuff to the fore, let's put this negativity to the side, and then actually let's look at all the good policy ideas and initiatives and debate what we disagree on. It sounds like you should have called your party the secret party. <laughs> Just willing everything into, into positive, with positive energy. Like... Well, I think if we start from a positive basis, if we start not talking down the other parties, but saying, actually, the Greens have a great policy here, Liberals have a great policy over here in economics, and Labor's got this great social heart, and they look after those who need a helping hand right now. If we can take those best pieces and put them together... We'll have a fantastic parliament, a fantastic society, and that's actually the core of the Lamington Party. What are your committee meetings like? <laughs> they get the things done, do you? <laughs> <laughs> we, get, we get a lot of ground to cover. Do you think you can affect real change in parliament? I think we can. I think that if we focus on campaigns and initiatives, uh, contribute to the public conversation, the political debate, and get on shows like this then maybe we can actually influence the discussion. Yes, yes, six old people are going to register right now. It's going to be... I like Lamingtons, yes. 
that they don't listen to the Yelly show on our Radio National. Jason, um, are you worried that if the Lamington Party merges in a coalition with the Palmer Party, <laughs> that he might try to eat you? You know that uh, I think the Palmer Party should merge with the Rugby Party since he's already got a number of rugby players. <laughs> What's your ideal outcome for this election? I think my ideal outcome is, uh, and the committee's uh, ideal outcome, is really just getting some of those ideas on the table and getting that discussion. If you're looking for people, I am looking for work. But really, really, uh, getting to the point of celebrities, we have too many celebrity-led parties right now, and I think we should be actually focusing on the policy first, and that was actually a conscious decision of ours. That's right. We didn't want it to be about people. No one knows who Michael is. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank Jason McKenzie. Right now, before we say goodbye... Oh, hang on a second. I'm getting a phone call. Hang on, let me just... Let me just... Hello, who is it? Hello, uh, Dan? Yes. Uh, It's Kevin Kevin Rudd here. Oh, Kevin Rudd PM! Hello, Kevin. Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. I should say, Kevin Rudd PM is back. <laughs> Kevin, what, what was today like for you? What, what was this? What was the last couple of days like? Oh, look, it's, it's been pretty crazy, you know. Uh, look, I'm just willing to tell you that I'm back. Well, welcome back. So many people have loved to see you back. Though I guess the people who don't want to see you back are the six people that resigned today. Uh, what have you got to say to those people who, who the, your whole front bench, pretty much half your front bench, left you? Well, you know, like, it's all part and parcel. That's just tough shit, you know. Uh, there's going to be cracking skulls, Dan, and uh, the skills don't stop in politics. Unfortunately, I've come down there and I've caused a bit of a spill down there at the ABC as well. What do you mean? Like, what do you know, mean? Well, there's a few people gone at the ABC. Adam Hills, he's gone. He won't be, uh, he won't be doing poems with his wife anymore. I'm taking over. I'll be interviewing low-level stars and then doing the best of Slim Dusty with Gerard at the end of every show. <laughs> What else are you going to be doing at the ABC? Lewis McCurdy's out. Oh, and yeah, Dan Illich. Sorry, pal, you're gone. What are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, tough break, mate. A rational fear, it's now gone. It's going to be uh, a ruddy, he's here. Every Thursday night, I'll be hosting. <laughs> hey, you can't, this is my show. You can't take my show away from me. Uh, I think I can do whatever I want, mate. I speak Mandarin. <laughs> Here is Veronica Milson with the top three fierce and fierce. The wind farm protest movement will collapse when the protesters realise that windmills make free electricity for free. (laughs) Determined to at least have one structure that everyone hates, Sydney will replace the monorail with Crown Casino. Qantas outraged at ground staff impersonating a pilot to gain a free flight to Dubai. Qantas only allows ground staff to impersonate pilots on jet star flights. <laughs> Arrestal Fear is produced for Radio National by Dan Illick, Nikita McZarian, Tom Lowe and Andrew Garrick. This radio episode was written by Sid K. Smith, James Colley, Mark Humphreys, Cameron James, Robert Howie, Dylan Bain, Alice Gabbard, Ewan Holmesworth, Ben O'Brien, Nipper Tony, Nino Oyama, Hannah Riley and John O'Lee and Jess Twemlow. Please thank our panel, Lewis, Veronica, Hing, H.G. Nelson... Chris Taylor, Jason the 
McKenzie. Special thanks to Lila Shunner, Timothy Nicastri, Marty Peralta, Darren Sanders, Love Garage, CDZ, and our boss, Tony McGregor. Well, follow us on Rational Fear Radio National. Oh, and social media. Until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! Your fear is rational. And that's the final Irrational Fear for this season. Next week, at the same time, there will be a return to standard RN stuff, you know, music and culture and arts and important things like that, on Sound Music Word. Next week, why do some cultures insist men should shave while others judge beards with suspicion? Mmm, it's like a parody of a Radio National show, which is kind of like what we do. That's next week, at this time, on RN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.